Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests, we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. For your curiosity and stuff. Well, hey there. Sophie Everard is a journalist, passionate snowboarder and surfer who's worked extensively within action sports media for more than 10 years. And she is a published writer for industry-leading snowboard titles and amongst many others. So she's also set up a brand called Mad to Live, through which she promotes a positive modern message of female empowerment with original content. So attached to this content brand is a series of wildly successful woman-only retreats in various places like Portugal, Morocco, Costa Rica, Bali, and England. Sounds like an amazing life, and she's designed it all herself. And she headed down to The Wave in Bristol, and uh, we are about to just dig in in detail into her excursion into The Wave. So thanks so much for joining us, Sophie Everard. All right, Sophie Everard, thank you so much for coming on to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. Really appreciate your time on a Saturday afternoon. About to go to El Salvador, is that right? Yes, I am. Escaping the cold, um, heading off to the tropics. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. So how stoked are you to be leaving a December, a cold December in the UK? Do you know what? It's actually been, I've been here for about a month now and I've actually really kind of enjoyed it. I've been spending a lot of time in deserts and jungles this year. So the cold was actually a kind of refreshing novelty for me. So yeah, I mean, obviously I'm excited to go, but I've been digging the cold weather vibes too. Do you not spend that much time in the UK? No, not a lot at all, actually. Um, I'm sort of constantly traveling with my work and my company that I run. So quite the little intrepid traveler, basically. Excellent. But I'm talking about traveling. I did a little bit of research online beforehand, and uh, it looks like you grew up in Athens in the 90s. (gasps) That wow, that is that's uh, that is some good research. Yes, I was in Athens, just north of Athens, actually, um, from the late eighties and in the nineties. Yeah. So, what is life like in Athens growing up? It's so beautiful. I was sort of quite north of the city. It wasn't the city at all. Um, so we're sort of at the foot of these mountains, and then just over an hour from the ocean. Um, so it was honestly just like a, a really beautiful upbringing the outdoors are so amazing there greek people it was just like a childhood filled with running up and down mountains skinning my knees falling in love with the ocean eating loads of delicious deep fried cheeses and souvlaki um, well that's the I, thing about greece isn't it i mean the food <laughs> is spectacular i was there last year and i just we went to santorini and just the food was just stunning i couldn't believe it you have to be prepared to put on a few kilos whenever you go but it's what i call like being fat and happy, it's fappy, so it's kind of worth it. <laughs> <laughs> fappy, okay. Fappy. So you're obviously not fappy, but when you were younger, what yeah. drove you to, to sports and outdoor pursuits? I think it was it was definitely where I was living. Greece, so outdoorsy. My school that I went to, um, sports was like really high up on um, the teaching curriculum and I was on every team and I just 
I think I had a really good landscape for me to pick up different sports. And obviously with the mountains and the ocean in such close proximity, I was pretty fortunate in that respect. And then coupled with two other factors, one, having a very sporty, adventurous dad um, who just loved to like drag me around. I wouldn't say drag. I was actually kind of faster than him, but like run up around the hills with him. And he took me out um on the on the water a lot with him which is where I really fell in love with the ocean and then the third point would probably be it's definitely in my DNA like as long as I can remember I've just absolutely loved sports and the outdoors but you're mentioning like hiking or you're mentioning mountains and ocean and those aren't sort of traditional sports that you learn at school I mean no you you do tennis or basketball or something like that or netball wouldn't you yeah was that like a club that you joined to go hiking or you just go and cruise on your own that was actually, mm, yeah, it was with my father a lot of the time that we would go hiking. It was actually probably like five times a week because we could leave from our front door. It was honestly amazing. And I have to pinch myself sometimes that I had that as a childhood. And then they just trusted me. Greece was pretty safe then. And when I was a kid, I would run up into the hills with my friends as well. Um, and I think and from being with my dad, I obviously knew the mountain range quite well and somehow didn't get lost or die or like get an e- get eaten by a greek snake or anything so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, yeah i suppose there must be bad snakes in greece i think there's a few nothing nothing too savage like it's not like you have to worry about a mountain lion coming up and eating you things are pretty safe over there <laughs> yeah nothing like australia or africa Oh, no, Jesus Christ. I don't think my parents would have been so free-spirited with letting me scamper around the hills over there if that was the case. (laughs) So um, we talked a little bit about mountains and hiking. Yes. Let's move down to the ocean. Mm. Um, Did you learn to surf in Greece? Because it's not renowned for its surf there. No, it's not. And the funny thing is, is that the first time I ever surfed in Greece was this year. And it was one of the most special moments of my life. But um, so, no, I didn't learn to surf there. So we also had a house in Portugal where actually we ended up moving to when I finished high school in England, which is where I moved um, yeah, to do GCSEs and A-levels. So we had this place in Portugal um, where we would where? go in the Algarve. So Lagos, Praia de Luz. Great. Just down the road from me. Yeah. So hence, that's like my long, my probably most consistent home I've ever had. So we still have it there. My mom lives there. I've been living in and out of Portugal um, since I was a teenager. And the first time I surfed, it's the old classic. I watched Blue Crush and was like, oh my God. And I already had this affinity with the ocean. I was wakeboarding, water skiing, free diving as a little baby, fishing, sailing with my dad. Um, so it kind of was like an organic next step for me as a teenager. And then, yeah, one, one watch of Blue Crush and sweet Jesus there, the flames were ignited and off I went. <laughs> so tell me about the first experience where you actually got on a board. Did you go into one of those traditional day out surfing with, um, with Toby Millage in, in the West Coast? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so my first love as it goes so he was like sort of a semi-pro surfer I would like to say he helped me in the water but honestly he didn't but I was so determined um which is kind of actually where I slipped up a bit I just basically took myself out and I didn't go on any of those like surf coaching days and then it was actually only once I had coaching I was like sweet Jesus what was I doing do you know what I mean um highly recommend getting coaching at any point in your sort of surfing 
journey. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely agreed. Oh, it yeah. helps so much, doesn't it? Oh my god, doesn't yeah. It? And like you think about bad habits you pick up if you're just sort of floundering around on your own. And um, sometimes I could kick myself because it's like you waste a lot of time if you're just sort of mucking around. So I just spent most of the time, like, pardon my French, eating shit and face planting in the sand at the beginning, and then <laughs> and then thought, you know, yeah, I'm gonna go get some proper coaching, which is what I then did. <laughs> Did you go after you've learned to surf, you know, in, a, in like later years, did you did you go on any surf trips where you actually packed boards onto planes and, and tripped yeah. around the world? Yeah, so um, that then came and like I started going off to Central America quite a bit and then actually half my family are Australian. So I headed out to Australia for a little while and had some amazing surfs out there. My longest surf of my life was in Australia, Noosa, six hours in the water. I'll never wow. forget I'll never forget the two giant burritos I had after that. That was that was amazing. And a frothy, as they say. Beer. <laughs> so it sounds, yeah. Uh, it sounds like the classic eat, surf, repeat. Yes. Sleep. I yeah. mean that's me in my like happiest state. I'm not so much of a partier now. Um, I sort of buried that little wild party spirit somewhat, but I do like shaking a leg and I like going out dancing and I'll have a little drink here and there, but I'm more like a get to bed early, wake up and surf all day kind of person. Why is that? <laughs> is that because the Dawn Patrol is the best surf session ever or what? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like I just, when I'm on a surf trip, I love getting up early. There's a magic in the first light and like being one of the first in the water. A lot of the places I go, the winds might pick up later in the day. Um, and yeah, just like getting up with the first sun, having a coffee, like as dawn is creeping over the horizon, it's just like a magic like no other. So I think that's Absolutely, something yeah. surfers are so lucky to experience because some of the most like, I wouldn't call them, it's my, my version of like as religious as something can get because I'm not re a typical sort of like religious person, let's say, but when you feel like the magic of mother nature and it's like spine tingling, it's always been in moments where I've like been surfing basically like epic moments early morning or like those incredible sunsets where everything's pink and orange and you're in the water with your friends and you're like, is this real life? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm totally with you on that. I'm miracle mornings. It's stunning. Yes. It's the best time of the day. So good. So all this sounds awesome and it's wonderful to play like this, but when did you realize that you could actually make a living out of mm. playing like that? Yeah, so I think I always had this feeling when I was a kid because I just love moving my body and I knew I always wanted to only work within sports, basically. So um, I sort of started working in marketing for um like marketing and events experience so putting on like big action sports events then I went to an action sports magazine publisher and then I worked for a big brand and then at the same time I was surfing a lot and that was kind of gaining traction um and I just wanted to be able to kind of pull it all together and also do something which I felt for me had a lot of meaning so being able to share the benefits and merits of um, surfing and of an active lifestyle with other people. So that kind of started with founding my business, Mad to Live, um, which is where I basically produce a lot of content with brands I work with, um, whether it be tourist boards, like the English tourist boards. So um, working with them on a project like Heading to the Wave in Bristol. Um, or yes, like the Mad to Live Retreats, which is a brand I founded five years ago, which are global women's surf and adventure retreats, um, which is a big channel for me to kind of open up surfing to girls and women. 
Um, mm. So, yeah, I sort of, I was quite stubborn early on. Like, I, when I was a teenager, I was like, I'm not doing anything else. Like, this is the only real industry I want to work in. And I have a lot of other interests, and I love to keep learning and exploring. Um, but I've been very dedicated to, like, bettering myself within the industry, whether it's my own capacity as a surfer, as an athlete, um, or the other arms of like the industry that I'm interested, in, whether um, it's being a journalist, which I also do in a writer, or like business development with my company, um, or yeah, you know, just like living the wildlife. <laughs> Sounds awesome. But let's hone in on that on that trip that you did to Bristol because you yes. recently did some work with Bristol, and obviously Bristol's on the tip of our minds or the yes. top of our minds. Mm-hmm. Um. Can we just dig into that in like really great detail? So, oh, yeah. first of all, let's go back a little bit before Bristol. Mm-hmm. How was your attention first drawn to machine-driven waves? So, um, I mean, it began to just sort of come into our consciousness as surfers, didn't it? We sort of like see these viral clips come out. Um, Kelly Slater's wave pool, uh, wave garden facility in Spain. Um, and then obviously in the UK, we had the first facility up in Wales as well, which opened to great fanfare. They had a Red Bull competition up there um, and it was going to be sort of heralded as like this huge, huge thing. I think it's it has evolved obviously a lot since then. And I don't think it kind of it's not panned out to be maybe what the initial um, strategy was for it. But as I understand now, it's a very successful adventure park um, and they still have surf, but they have a lot of other stuff and it's brilliant for kids and team building. But um, yeah, so I think wave pool technology really kind of kind of came into our consciousness. Um, we saw these incredible videos of barrels and the wave pool at Kelly Sater, and then it was included on the tour circuit. So it's almost like, well, like this is obviously the next great big thing in surfing. Um, and then, yeah, so up to so like 10 years ago, I think the first plans were creeping out the woodwork for Bristol. And it seemed like something out of back to the future. Do you know what I mean? Like to have a facility of that, of what they were planning in Bristol and in the UK. So um, actually my best friend Tom has founded this group in London for other landlocked surfers called East London Surf Collective. And um, he and the rest of the group were kind of like all very animated about it and um, contributed to fundraising for it. So we've all been very excited about it from the get go. Um, and then especially with the fact that, you know, there were mutterings about it being included in the Olympics rather than it being on an organic natural wave. Um, but I actually think it is going to be on a natural organic wave now. So I think it's just three Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of like exploded into our consciousness. And I was definitely chomping at the bit to see what it was all about. But if you think about it, it's quite crazy because i'm coming from a south african point of view and Mm. um, i think a lot of people who surf come from an american or australian point of view to have the first world wave pool in england sounds (laughs) nuts but there's like half a million people surfing in england so it's it's uh it's perfect isn't it yeah i think it's amazing and yeah there are actually a lot of surfers in the uk and we have an incredible there's an incredible surf scene in the uk and it took me a while to kind of like getting tuned to it. I went on a road trip when I was 18 or 19 and had my mind blown. I was like, 
Christ, that's so beautiful in Cornwall. Um, there's really fun waves. The English people are awesome. Like fish and chips. Yes, I was like, I'm in. Um, so I think that there's obviously like a captive market. Um, way, the Wavepool crew will have obviously done extensive amounts of research about that. But if we're looking from like the industry standpoint where I've worked as like a journalist and um, in the business side, like from what I can see, yeah, there's definitely a captive market for it. And have you been aware of Nick Hounsfield for, for a long time, for the 10 years that he's been trying to, or, or successfully, not trying, being successfully creating the Bristol project? What do you feel about the way he's gone about it? I think he's gone about it in a really amazing way. And that's for, and the reason for that is a couple of reasons. So um, I really think that they had a really cool opening strategy. So they invited a lot of amazing social communities and projects to be the first riders. It wasn't just an elitist or like 18 pro athlete. Obviously they had a lot of pro athletes there, but it was like all British athletes to begin with, and that's fantastic. But inviting communities like Wave Wahines, um, which are run down in Croyd and Devon, which is a not-for-profit girls' organisation um, run by Yvette Fielding, and they take girls surfing, and it's an amazing thing. And she's been nominated. She was nominated for the Sunday Times Sportswoman of the Year this year. Um, so collectives like that. So I think that strategy was really fantastic. Um, two, they have a very ecological approach, actually, as best as they can. Um, I couldn't really think of the top of my head, like everything that has gone into it. But they are very conscious of that. And I think that in 2019, going into 2020, especially for the surfing industry, which has racked up what we could say a lot of naughty points um in terms of our sustainable footprint uh with the travel with the products that are made um but i think we should the uk should be proud of the fact that there are guys like nick um and then we have some other amazing businesses finisterre um which are really making leaps and bounds to have best practice in sustainable efforts mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think it's brilliant what they've done so far. And and also including adaptive surfing into the whole yeah. into the whole mix as well. It's been it's been incredible. So Yes. Totally but agree. But what about in but what about the run up to your surf day at the mm. Wave in Bristol? How how did you set it up or did they give you a call or how did it go down? So I was working with the English Tourist Board, um, and I've been working with them for a little while and Basically, I'm sort of like the adventure arm. So I'll sort of like go out into the UK. I actually went surfing in Devon on the last trip, um, did a lot of other sorts of stuff and hiking and rock climbing and whatnot. Um, but I was talking to them about the wave garden and um, heading down to Bristol. And obviously this was like a huge thing in the surfing industry and also for the, for the UK, for England. This is like an amazing thing to have a big talking point not just for surfing which is still considered a niche sport but um you know it's like tapping into more of the like mainstream i think so they were really keen for me to get down there as well and fortunately it all came about and we started talking with the team and my immediate um sort of like first impressions of their team their pr and media team was super cool i had a really good vibe off them from the get-go they seemed not just organized but really friendly um and it seemed like things were running smoothly from you know like a month before let's say mm -hmm. and what were your expectations for the day 
you know what? I kind of went in with no expectations because there's only so many, you know, you see videos. I'd seen videos actually coming through as well of the wave garden that opened in Australia. Um, obviously the wave pool in uh, Spain and then Kelly Slater's and then there's multiple other wave pools around the world as well. But those are the ones which are like the biggest talking points. Um, so I was like, Jesus, I didn't know what to expect. It was the first day it was open to the public as well, like ground zero day one. Um, so I was expecting. Oh, you went like, in the first day. Yeah, day one. So I was like, wow. oh, you know what? Well, I'm going to give cut these guys slack, and that maybe there'll be a few running issues, or it might not be as slick. But that is cool. Like, you know what? It's day one. I'm not going in with any expectation. Um, so I sort of went in with quite a blank canvas um, of like what I was thinking. I think from some of the videos I'd seen, I was expecting, yeah, like the wave. I was hoping I'd get to like have a good time actually surfing. It looked like it was going to be suitable for like people like me, um, sort of intermediate to advanced, who really wanted to go and have a good shred. Mm, cool. So when you arrived that mm -hmm. day, it must have been cold, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> and I just got, where had I been? I came from Portugal, actually, where it was still lovely and warm. So. But at this what point, a beautiful place to come from. Yeah. I know. And actually, um, so it was cold. It was wet. We were picked up by one of their pickup trucks. Um, there was still some building work going on around the outside. I think they have some really interesting plans in the sort of near future. Um, taken straight to the front door and the facility from the outside is just like wow it's like you are entering back to the future um, the immediate like first step inside you're like struck by how beautiful the design is they have an amazing welcoming staff at reception um, who I also was really really impressed by um, who go through sort of like health and safety and signing all forms it's got like a real club like feel from the get go like you step inside you're signing up there and then you're in the club house as they so call it where the restaurant and the shop and retail and obviously windows checking out all the action are so you feel pretty comfortable from like the first second you get there and did you go straight into a briefing or how did it work so we i actually got there a bit early because i wanted to check it out and also i was starving so i was also not expecting the food to be so good um i'm quite a healthy eater but not like not um, dairy-free, vegan, gluten-free. I'm not going as far as that, but I just like delicious, nutritious, tasty food, loads of veg. Like I do a lot of sports, so I need to nourish my body. And I was expecting like it not to be as good as it was, but it was absolutely delicious. Like amazing menu. Um, again, the restaurant staff, all the crew there was so friendly and smiley. And I just felt like really comfortable straight away. But if you're going in there as a paying customer, yeah. do you do you know how it works? So you could, do you go? Do they give you a briefing beforehand, or you just go straight into the pool? And, yeah, so and you surf? get a you get a briefing, um, and also it depends if you are using one of their boards or if you've bought your own. So I was going to try out one of their boards. They've been working with Ben Skinner, um, who is one of the UK's and well internationally like a really celebrated longboarder, multiple champion. Um, and also has his highly reputable surfboard um, company. So I really wanted to try. He sounds like an absolute legend. He's yeah. such I've a legend. A few podcasts. I've, I've heard yeah, a few I've, podcasts with him. He sounds amazing. He's absolutely awesome. I've like had a pretty wild party or two with him as well. He's just like the best dude ever. And yeah. so I really wanted to try one of his longboards. Um, so I was like, I think I'll probably longboard because I ride longboards and shortboards and like everything in between, basically. 
um and i'd seen some footage of some longboarders there and i was like hmm, maybe i'll maybe i'll longboard so yeah you would then you then go into a briefing um you go into their like boardroom and there's like lots of health and safety videos things you need to go through and understand um forms you need to fill in and then they have like an insane quiver it's basically like a giant warehouse um with like it's so slick, like all their way of branding on all of the different boards, the rashies. Um, and then at that time, so this was October, the like before Halloween. So in the UK, normally like the sea can actually still be quite warm. Like I've had some quite nice surfs, if I remember in October, November in the UK, when actually the water's been, you don't need gloves or boots or a hood. And I've been in like a 4.3 in North Devon, but I think it's been quite a cold start to the winter this year. So the water temperature did drop quite considerably earlier on. Um, but they were like, yeah, you have to wear boots. Um, I was like, cool, no worries. And then I'm very glad I did, because that will lead me into another point about how cold it is. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then I was sort of speaking to, yeah, so I was in a group on the intermediate, the advanced left. Um so basically it's goofy i'm goofy yeah. Cool, yeah so next time i want to go on the right because i actually like surfing backside a lot as well um but i was like i'll start i'll start you know like front side so um it was me and like four to five other guys in the 40s and then maybe a kid or two like under 12 years old so you have like a good safety briefing. They have like big screens, like detailing everything important you need to know. Then we met our guide. So you have a guide if you're in the advanced groups who was a very knowledgeable, like, I just, I just, I fell in love with him from the second. He must've been in his like late fifties or 60 or something. But I was like, this guy is just brilliant. He was like, uh, you know, straight down the line, lots of fun um, and knew his stuff. So we had quite a extensive briefing, just like standing outside as we were looking at how it broke. And he explained to us how we paddle out, um, what happens when we're going for the waves, which he then went into in great more depth as we were out there, like in the lineup. I'm doing inverted commas, like saying that. <laughs> um, so he's when you're walking down to the lineup, right? You yeah. Must normally when you're walking down to the lineup you're walking over sand dunes and you're going out yeah. to the ocean and it's what like this must be such a bizarrely different crazy different feeling because obviously it's not the ocean it's never trying to be the ocean but yeah well, well, how about that so it is a crazy feeling so whilst i had a bit of time before to eat and then i was shoot shooting some pics i went down and they have like this big like pontoon straight down the middle of it so then the left and the right are like down either side with the broken down into like advanced left and right intermediate and beginner um and for the first thing i was like oh my god i was like this is like back to the future it was like trippy and futuristic and i couldn't believe my eyeballs i was like this is this is insane um so that's how i felt immediately i was like wow like this is this is next level um and it was busy there were lots of kids surfing there were people catching really good waves um mm -hmm. and then we went and watched for quite a while and it was just like such a crazy vibe it's almost like when you're maybe when you're, you go wakeboarding and you're in the boat and you're really close and watching but you just like can see all the action from so close and the noises that the wave garden technology makes when it's like pushing the waves through it's, it's just really cool that's oh, awesome that clanking noise you get before you get isn't it but i just want to like you you in the water right now and yeah. suddenly the guy says okay waves are coming on you can see waves going in front of you but you can't yeah. see them coming from behind you and it just wells up from behind you yeah. doesn't that freak you out 
No, not really. So we then we paddled out, and at this point, I'm with these all like these quite stoic older guys, and I I get pretty excited. So I'm like freaking out. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing! Like, holy crap! Like, is this happening? And they're just like, yeah, it's cool. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we then get out back, and then again, the guide is like so detailed and concise, and he just breaks it down super easy. There's like. He's like, that is the point you sit at where you need to take off on the wave. There's like a line on the wall as well to make it extra clear. So it's really impossible to mess up the exact spot you need to be. It's like very clear. Um, he'll tell you you need to paddle a bit. He'll like yell at you if you really need to go for it a bit more. Um, but as soon as, so you're sort of like in a line waiting like a conveyor belt and then it all begins to work and you're like, <gasps> so when you're like sitting on the side waiting, um, like all the, the waves are like, coming past you and you're like on the side watching the person going and that's pretty amazing and you're watching them drop in and then the person in front of you goes and you're getting into position so as soon as they've gone it's your turn so the guide's like right paddle go so you have to make sure you're lined up with the line on the wall and then you go and if you miss it you have a second chance um so he'll let you try one more time and then if you mess that one up you've got to Either if you get wiped out, you have to ride the white water straight. You're not allowed to cut left or right and chop up the next person, basically, and ruin, ruin their ride. Um, so you ride the white water all the way in, and then you kind of have to do a circle around and then paddle back out. Um, but that, that whole sequence thing is just so mm. awesome for me because personally the one thing i detest about surfing is localism yeah and people controlling their own break and and you'll never get that supposedly you'll never get that in a wave pool will you yeah it's like it's so interesting because you do sort of feel like you're on a conveyor belt and then one other really interesting yeah i think that i think you're so right there like it just makes things very clear almost quite linear and because <laughs> my next point because you are you're working really hard so the guy the guide said right expect to be pretty gassed with it. it's really physical and i was like it can't be as physical as actually being in the ocean like you know when you're like doing a long paddle out or like you know having a lot of wipeouts i just feel like the physicality of surfing surely can't compare to being in a wave pool you know um but jesus christ so if you manage to take a wave on the first one and um if you're quick you can get back round and you can literally get like a couple of goes in so it kind of breaks in like five minute blocks and then there's a small lull and then it'll pick up and go again um mm -hmm. which is where people, I... which Sorry is where people can really get like a very high wave count but that's if they're hauling ass so like they'll catch a wave drop it do a few turns, paddle back up the side of the channel, drop straight away again. Um, so if you're lucky, you might be able to do that, but pff, you are working hard. It's almost like, mm. I don't know if you ever saw the show Gladiators. That was an English thing when you're like running up the travelator. It's like you literally yeah, feel like that way. That. Yeah, yeah, you feel yeah, that yeah. way the whole time. You're just like but hauling ass. a good question. You say it. Working hard, working hard, right? Are you working hard on the wave to actually keep surfing it? Because I know when I surf in the ocean, you're just sliding down the face and you just curve, and there's so much power coming from the wave. But yeah. I, I surfed in, in Bilbao in, in Wave Gardens Test Center, and yeah. um, I felt like I really had to work hard yeah. to, to stay on the wave. It wasn't just gliding, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the wave wasn't pushing me so much. No. Do you think that's a fair thing to say or not? I think that's a fair thing to say, yeah. The, I definitely think, so on the advanced setting we had, so they've only, they've had one, 
I can't remember, it's M123 approved, um, the Malibu setting, which is approved right now. So it wasn't like barreling fast waves you see that some pro surfers might have been playing on and indeed not like the same wave that you might see at Kelly Slater's wave pool or even the new the new wave pool that's opened in Melbourne, Australia. Um, so I think they're going, you know, they're still going through health and safety to um, have the next settings approved. So we sort of worked on the first M1 and then he dialed up or he did, the, the, the crew did, the engineers or whatever, M2, M3. So the takeoff, um, I wasn't too concerned, like from first look, even in videos at the takeoff, I was like, it kind of looks like it's going to be okay. The takeoff's actually quite cruisy. But then when you're on the wave, I think it's definitely fair to say you are working on the wave. And that's what makes it so interesting. I feel like it's so cool because there's like a couple of different pockets and sections that you can really play with. But you definitely need to work to stay on it. And I think it allows for playfulness. You can definitely get some good turns in there. Um I took out a longboard and it was fun and like you can get to the nose and you can like nose ride, um, make some turns. And now I sort of wish I'd had a chance to take out a smaller board on that session too, um, being greedy. You just had one hour session. Yeah, it was a one, one one hour session and I was absolutely gassed as heck by the end of it. And I consider myself pretty fit, I guess. Yeah, like very fit. Like I train a lot, like I'm an animal and I was like, puffing like all of us were just like bushed at the end so i think the fact that you're working hard on the wave combined with the constant movement you do get a very short rest when there's the lull period between the next set let's call it um yeah i think it's a lot of people have been saying online like oh wow is one hour enough you know do i get enough value for money and everybody who's been there and surfed there and made vlogs and, and talked about it afterwards like you have as well yeah I just say, yeah totally totally gassed whacked exhausted after <laughs> you are so it's and enough right i it's think I, th I think you could definitely plan in like if you're there for like a day, you know, you're hanging out there for half a day or a day, you could definitely like get two hours in, um, like go start surfing, have your lunch, chill out, watch. And then I think you probably feel good again to go to have another surf. But yeah, I was like really blown away by how physical it is. Um, and also just the whole experience of like, it's almost quite intense. You're out back with the guide and like at every lull, he's like feeding you back a bit of coaching as well, or like just in terms of, not your actual surfing, but how you surf the wave and like your positioning on it, um, just sort of like giving you a few pointers and helping you out. Um, so I just was like, yeah, my mind was kind of blown about the whole experience. It sounds awesome from a surfing perspective, but um, for me, wave parks or surf parks in, in general mm -hmm. are about a lot more than just the surfing because no, we've got it nailed with the surfing and maybe it, it might be might be able to make the, the waves a little bit bigger or whatever, but it's just, we've got it nailed with, with that. What about um, what you do in between sessions and the, and the stuff that surrounds the wave park? Like, yeah. could you imagine doing a retreat there, for example, taking your mad to live retreats there? It's interesting you say that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Hot off the press. Um, well, I think, yeah, like, I can obviously see, if we look at the example of, in Wales what's happened with the wave over there and I think it's been used for a lot of like corporate events team building like it's like an adventure park now um I think that I imagine they're going to do some really cool things so they're obviously working with some social grassroots organizations already um 
And then, yeah, I think for people like me who own a business retreat, um, Bristol's an amazing location because for what I do, we do surfing and other adventure sports. So very close to the wave is like the UK's best outdoor climbing. Um, there's like cycling and then obviously you're pretty close to Devon. Um, but I think, yeah, that's, it's definitely going to have the capacity for that. I can imagine them opening like glamping pods, um, the facility already is very like you could speak i've pretty much spent five hours there and it's a great place to hang out the crew are super nice you could definitely have a few beers at the end of the day um it's just like a kind of one-stop epic spot so at the beginning you might forget you're not actually surfing in nature just because you're so overwhelmed by the experience and how futuristic it is and the good vibes I think that's part of their plan as well. They've got 25 safari tents coming and yeah. the whole idea of being immersed in nature, blended into nature. Obviously, now it's difficult to see because it might be a little bit of a construction site. But yes. I think um, when it's all done, it's going to be an awesome spot. I think so too. One, one last question for you, Sophie. Yeah. Do you, can you imagine a future when um, or if wave parks are more prevalent than football fields? Stadiums, oh. football stadiums. <laughs> oh, do you know what? No, I, I don't. And like, I think maybe that's like the punk rock in me. I'm like, I like the counterculture element that a sport like surfing always has. Surfing's always going to be pretty rock and roll. Obviously, it's like become very mainstream, but football is like a whole other level. I do think, however, what is incredible is that it opens up surfing to people who might never experience it, don't even know what it is, to children, to people who have disabilities um, and might not be able to experience the joys of a sport like that. And then it suddenly opened up to them because they have a safe facility um, where they can go and learn it. And I work really closely with a charity called The Wave Project, which is a not-for-profit um, which takes children suffering from anxiety and depression and other physical and mental disabilities surfing. So, um, yeah, I think I can imagine, you know, like that's one of the best things about it. I don't think it'll ever be as like big as football stadiums, but I think the way it's going, like if we look at how far it's come in the last five years, um, how you know, farther technology has progressed, it'll be interesting to see the kind of numbers that like the Bristol facility begins to garner. Is it going to go the way of the wave, um, the Wales one and just kind of like mm, crash and burn a little bit or, you know, they didn't crash and burn. I wouldn't say that. That's a bit mean. They evolved in something else. Whereas the wave, I think, is really strategizing itself to be like, you know, it's all about the surfing. So I definitely think things are going to continue to grow, to develop, to prosper. I think we're going to continue to have our minds blown by the technology, by the experience. I don't think it's gonna be uncommon to see surfing on a mainstream platform where like there's a wave pool in the middle of fricking Times Square or Trafalgar Square as in a as a global event. And I think that's gonna become something that's probably like not the stuff of fantasy in the future. Well, you'll be scared to see the plans that there's um, that are happening. But anyway, yeah. I'm, I just wanted to say something that I think um, I'm not a fan of football, but a um, hundred years ago, I went up to I went up to Porto in the north of Portugal. Yeah. And obviously, there's a massive big stadium because because football is crazy here. And they had a museum inside the stadium, and they said, you know, this is when it started. Like a hundred years ago, this was just a, a field. 
And if those guys a hundred years ago had tried to visualize what football would be in a hundred years, imagine us looking a hundred years into the future, looking to see what surfing is going to be. So, who knows? Yeah, I know. I think there's. <laughs> I think there's also the the fact that um, fantastically we are all being held more to account about our. Uh, footprints and sustainability so it'll be see it'll be interesting to see how they compare that with that could it help surfing be more sustainable as we need to heal our oceans which we do um i don't know i just feel like the future is going to be fascinating when it comes to wave garden and wave pool technology thanks so much sophie and enjoy your trip to el salvador <gasps> gracias <laughs> thanks so much no, no, thank you, Sophie. It was amazing to have our first female guest on the Wavepool Mag podcast. So, yeah, great to have her, and it's wonderful to have a female point of view. Hopefully, we'll be finding some more females. I've reached out to Lane Bleachy, and we'll see who's going on there. But if you guys have any ideas for people, for me to interview on the Wavepool Mag podcast, I'd love it. Just keep on sending stuff over, like comment on, um, on Instagram. Sometimes we don't always see that. So if, uh, you can always email me on nick.wavepoolmag at gmail.com. And yeah, love to hear your tips, advice, criticisms. Only positive, obviously. Nobody wants to hear bad criticism, do they? Uh, but yeah, I know it's, it's good fun. I'm really enjoying doing the podcast and I'm meeting some incredible people. So if you need to see all the other podcasts, this is the 10th in our series of uh, podcasts. Just go to wavepoolmag.com and click on the podcast link or just go to forward slash podcasts on wavepoolmag.com. So if you want to leave a review on iTunes, we'd love it. We really do because it always helps so much. Um, and otherwise, just keep on listening. And um, coming up, we have an interview with the founder of the Long Island um, Wave Pool, which is happening just outside New York. And also uh, an interview with Shane Beshin, surfing legend, and he was also involved in some wave pool action a bit earlier in his career, but I'm dying to see how that pans out. And um, there are lots of other things in the pipeline. So keep on listening, and thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. Ciao. Wave Mag. For your curiosity and stoke.